I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Between the time when gamers played with miniatures and chainmail, and the rise of the Wizards of the Coast, there was an age of advanced role-playing undreamed of. And onto the Skygats, destined to bear the jeweled crown of TSR upon a troubled brow. It was given to teach us all how to roll for initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! This is the Roll for Initiative podcast. This is a special insert for volume number three. This is special insert number eight. I am Dean Vince. I'm... Kind of sitting alone, usual, the usual voices aren't here with me this week, as we're sitting in here on uh, Sunday after the Gen Con is over for 2013, but I do have a familiar voice from the past, DM Jason. Hey Vincent, how you doing? Good Jason, uh, how you been? Been really good, I'm tired, four days of Gen Con and I'm on the road, so um, doing good though. Yeah, and you just uh, were at Gen Con uh, giving, uh, selling the new Gygax number two as well. Yeah, a few booths were real. Uh, we didn't have our own booth there, but uh, Troll Lords and the OSR booth and Dwarven Forge were all very gracious and uh, carried the magazine for us. So, oh, that was very that was, nice of them. Awesome. Yeah, that was really nice of them. And we'll get to that in just a minute to talk about a little bit more about Gygax number two. But uh, back in March, the fans had voted on who our next guest should be on the podcast, and the fans stepped up and they all chose Luke Gygax, who happens to be with us right now, Luke. Hey, Vince, how are you doing? Good, Luke. So, for those not familiar with who you are, which should probably be like a 2% people in our audience, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Luke? Well, I'd definitely say this audience is, is much more likely than a random sampling of the uh, population <laughs> of the United States to know who I am, but uh, I am the youngest son of uh, Gary Gygax uh, from his first marriage. I do have a younger a younger brother, Alex, as well. Um uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm one of Gary's sons, and I'm also a publisher of uh, Gygax Magazine. I'm here today to talk, talk to you about uh, growing up Gygax and, of course, uh, Gygax Magazine itself. Well, we have a bunch of questions for you, but we'll get to those at the end of the show from all the fans out there that wanted to hear certain stories about how things worked back in the day and how you came up with things with your father. So we'll get to that in a little bit. What I want to do is just quickly go over some of the things about the magazine. And I wanted to hear from you guys how it was creating number two and the steps that you went through for getting number two out there as compared to number one. Looking back, did you do things a little bit differently? There's the things that you tried that are a little bit better for going forward to three that you're going to try. Anyone you want to handle that one? Well, sure, I'll jump in on it. Um, so, you know, the first one was our first issue. You know, I've been kind of calling it our pilot issue. It was the one where we kind of got our act together and learned all of the difficult things there are about putting a gaming magazine out and uh i'm sure nobody listening is unaware of the fact that it took us a while to get number two going um and i just want to start off right by saying we've learned a lot about how to set our schedules and get everything in at the right time so we are on a uh, regular schedule going on out from here on out so the uh, next one will be at the end at october 30th and then every three months after that um 
And, you know, really, it was just a whole lot of things about there, there's a lot to running a business itself that you need to, to, to kind of uh, get in process, you know, get processes in place. Um, you know, really, that's what we've done. I, I, I don't know. As far as uh, different, you know, I'm really happy with the, with the artists that we have this time. I'm happy with the ones last time. I think we've stepped it up. Um, I think we've stepped it up in terms of content. Um, and, of course, you know, we've got... A couple of great adventures in here, and, and the uh, special attraction, of course, is the Blighted Lands. It's a preview of uh, Adventure World that Luke's been working on and is continuing to build. Absolutely, and we're going to get to that when we get to that article, because it's a great pullout of, of a piece of the map and a part of the uh, actual city, which really looks cool. But uh, the, we start off with an uh, article for the uh, tactics in the samurai battles, which, Jason, you spoke about the last time on uh, about issue one. You gave us a sneak preview about that. Well, yeah, it's real important, you know, as we go forward with the magazine to make sure that people don't think this is uh, RPG only. Mm -hmm. You know, we we are about gaming in uh, many of its forms, tabletop gaming. Uh, so we have, we're going to be always running things with miniatures, board games, role-playing, etc. And uh, Tim Kask, of course, is uh, our contributing editor, and, and many people know him as uh, the founder of the Dragon magazine and uh, you know, very important early contributor and part of uh, creating Dungeons and Dragons itself. Absolutely. And he does a wonderful, writes up a wonderful article about the uh, samurai battles and how to handle that. I'm not going to spoil it for anyone who's interested in that, which there are quite a few people that were. Well, I, I, I can I can give the line at the beginning, which is a little, always have a piece of, path of retreat open mm -hmm. and kill the shooters. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there you go. There's all the tactics you need. Kill the shooters. Absolutely. That, that's sound advice in, in any scenario. Mm. <laughs> and there's a really cool article right after that by uh, by Ernie, uh, Ernest Guy, Gary Gygax Jr., call him Ernie, The Evolution of Wargame to Role-Playing. I really like this article, really cool, kind of like that whole, I was sitting there and his point of view talking to Gary and how, how things just changed over slowly. I really did enjoy this article. I'm really glad you guys had him write this article. I think a lot of people will really enjoy how things worked back then. Yeah, Ernie has a lot, uh, a lot better recall and insight on some of those very formative uh, uh, days, months, and years. Because uh, I, I mean, I was pretty young. I was like four and five years old during this time period. Uh, uh, you know, three when when my dad was writing D and D. So uh, my recall is not going to be quite as accurate, and I'm not going to have as much of substance to say as, as as Ernie does about the early days. And he does an outstanding job, but. Uh, uh, Absolutely, he captures what I just take for granted is 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 how gaming goes. As far as you know, you're always getting uh, you're always getting soaked in one way or another. Your characters to fleece them out of their money, whether it's uh, <laughs> recharging recharging items, paying for training, researching spells, whatever it may be. You're you basically you, you want to make sure that the, as the DM, you want to keep it interesting. You want to provide motivation for those adventurers. To get them up, get them going, and, and make it challenging. So, if you're flush with cash, you know that may not that may not always be the case. But if you're, oh, geez, I have this castle now and all these henchmen and upkeep, and I want to, you know, recharge these things. I need to go on this big adventure and, and earn some more gold. Uh, so, so it really, you know, I think that's how a lot of that came about. Is uh, a lot of those were were uh, ways, methods uh, of keeping it interesting, fresh, and providing motivation in the. Uh, in the, in the early days of gaming. 
Absolutely, let me get a little sneak preview of uh, how Tensor was came about and how he went from a neutral alignment to good alignment. But I don't want to spoil that little story because yep. it's really cool. But I didn't, I wasn't aware that's how you guys were playing as a neutral, and then later on you kind of just drifted towards the alignment that you wanted to be, which I found kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, when I was playing uh, my characters, uh, more so is it was more towards AD and D a little bit. I mean, tail end of uh, you know when ADD was being developed, that's when I had stronger memories and, and more formative uh, experiences. And I pretty much was you know you, you had an alignment, and if you changed, there was penalties for it. So unless it was some sort of item that forced you to change or whatever it was, right. but it wasn't fluid, right? Let me skip ahead. We have another article, a Doctor Who article in here about adventures in time and space with some interesting creatures. I'm not really familiar with the Doctor Who game. Jason, are you a little more familiar with that game? No, I actually don't play it, but um, I found the article fascinating. And, and what happens for me a lot is I'll read an article that's, uh, you know, maybe some extra items or adventures or something for a game that I don't play, and it'll kind of catch my imagination and make me want to play that game. And yeah. that happened here for sure. Oh, wow, okay. You know, what's kind of neat is that uh, Jay Libby here has taken the uh, taken the Doctor Who game and given it a different Douglas Adamsian flavor and, uh, you know, come up with some of his own things. They're all, they're all his own creations, but set in that sort of universe. It's a very fun, kind of whimsical uh, bit of stuff. Hmm. Interesting. And then we get a really cool article, which I had. I looked at this article and I said, "This article has Jason written all over it." The Len Lakofa article <laughs> about the death and dying and different ways that how I didn't never even thought of things like this. If, if you're dead or below zero hit points, that you could still possibly move around or talk or do actions. I well, always... so this is the yeah, this is Liaman's secure shelter, and Len Lakofa was one of the very first people that we recruited for the magazine. I just couldn't imagine yeah. doing Gygax magazine without having Len Lakofa in there. Um, he is the master of you know really getting gritty with those tables and thinking about that kind of stuff. You know, so you can imagine you know me being me and liking those kind of <laughs> tables that Len was you know way up there on my list. And he, same thing, he came up with all... I, I never thought about, okay, yeah. um, my character's dying, he's down to negative one hit points, but in that last minute, is he going to be able to hide that scroll in his robe? Is he going to be able to get that last spell off? And, uh, you know, Len really studies up on this and, and thinks about it very deeply and comes up with some great uh, approaches for it. Absolutely. I, I just... It, I literally blew my mind reading this article going, whoa, I never thought of... That's some great possibilities to bring into the game now. Well, use it in your game and let us know how it goes. Absolutely. And then we skip over to uh, an article by John Peterson, uh, Forgotten Grimoire and His Curse, which is really talks a lot about D&D and Blackmore-related stuff. I mean, I read most of this article and was like, this guy really knows what he's talking about. Uh, if you if you haven't grabbed up uh, playing at the world, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming you're interested in gaming and the history and the formation. I mean, it's, it's worth it. It's 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 a long book. Uh, he goes into great detail. Sometimes it's a little dull, to be honest with you, but it's great material. And he has really done his research. And uh, yeah, he's talking about the Daloon Dal, Daloon manuscript or whatever, which is uh, uh, in this article, which is possibly a precursor to the first set of D&D rules that's somehow uh, a hybrid or homebrew or or something 
between uh, Dave Arneson's group and, and my dad's group in Lake Geneva, uh, kind of something in between Blackmore and D&D. Uh, and he's trying to discuss that. That's a very, of, of great interest to John. I, I, I chatted with him a little bit at GaryCon about that. And, uh, uh, yeah, he's definitely a, a gaming scholar. He takes this stuff seriously. Yeah, I, I think you pronounced that right, actually, Dalun. I, I, John was at Gen Con this year, and I got time to hang out with him quite a bit, and which was great because I really like him. I like having a chance to, to just to hang around. He's, like Luke said, he's an amazing scholar of this stuff, and he's just got such a deep love for gaming. Um, and I think it just really gets him going when he can find those those artifacts and those those things that fill in the gaps in the story. You know, one of the things that he said to me when we were have, um, at dinner the other night was that he, um, wh- one of his just driving forces is is to establish as much veracity in the timeline of role playing gaming, tabletop gaming, as possible. And he's putting a lot of effort into that and helping other people do it too. And this is one of those things. You know, he's found this manuscript and you're just kind of trying to figure out well, what's the provenance of this and you've got to deal with people's own memories which can sometimes be fu- fuzzy <laughs> you know at best and so he does a lot of uh what's the word i'm looking for here um almost like forensics you know <laughs> going in and he's like well i can see what kind of typewriter this was done on and obviously you know this was typeset it wasn't just done randomly by somebody it was there was a secretary or somebody involved or a professional typist so there must have been a reason for it it wasn't just somebody's you know it, he just gets into all of that and it's fascinating to read absolutely and uh if you want to hear more about him he was on the save or die podcast uh three or four times actually in the last couple months talking about his book and as well as uh, talking about the early editions of D&D. So uh, check them out, info. Yeah, but I, I agree. If anybody is interested in the, the definitive history of gaming, uh, playing at the world, definitely it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And then we jump over to an article by Jess Hartley, which I'm familiar with her. Uh, she uh, was uh, pretty... Back when I was spoken to her the last time, she was a heavy freelancer for White Wolf, and now she does for everything now, but she writes a really cool article about gamer etiquette and, and social <laughs> introductions, which made me laugh and giggle throughout half of it, and then say to myself, oh, this is so true, for the other half of it, about how people just kind of ignore the whole introductions now. Yeah, yeah, now Jess is great. She's uh, she signed on as a regular as a regular uh, feature, so we'll be seeing some cool stuff every time. And we're actually going to be asking people to kind of uh, send in ideas for things that they'd like her to talk about. But you know, you can always go to our Facebook page and find out about that stuff. Oh, cool. And then Brian Pope uh, brings us a really cool article about Mage Wars. I've never actually tried Mage Wars, but he goes into some really good tactics about the game, how to build it, and how to actually it's pre-game tactics, four for four, even playing the game. Yeah, well, there were tons of people playing Mage Wars at at, uh, at Gen Con, and uh, this is what I was talking about. That we're not only covering role playing. Right. So you know, Mage Wars is a uh, you know a battle game between two mages, and uh, a lot of fun. And of course, you know, just great, great, great uh, advice in there on how to play. Did you get into any Mage War games, or you just kind of observed? I I had a chance to play a grand total of two games the whole four days, <laughs> but they were both great. But they were they were older games. I got to uh, play some Nuclear War, mm-hmm. you know, which is always good, and um, with Rick Loomis, you know, which is yep, yep. yeah. I mean, come on, the you know the cre- and um, 
well, not the creator of Nuclear War, but you know the the, the guy who runs, um, ah, <laughs> who puts, yes, Flying Buffalo. Thank you. Flying, yeah, flying um, Buffalo. And then you know just a, a fun game of Car Wars. So uh, that's that's all I got to play. Just some some cool old school stuff. And then we have Heroes, Kings, and Champions, Ordinary Characters in Fantastic Worlds by Ken St. Andre, which I thought was kind of interesting, just taking the nar- the average everyday character and, and just giving them the story as opposed to the hero or the or the villain. So it's really Well, you know, it's interesting. I was mm-hmm. listening to a lecture by I forget this professor's name, but he's he does a he does lecture series that you can get through uh, audiobook and he does one on the history of uh, sci-fi um fiction or literature and he does another really long series on the history of fantasy literature and one of the things that he identifies as being uh sort of a defining characteristic of fantasy literature as opposed to say you know a greek myth because in a greek myth you've got heroes fighting monsters too but in fantasy literature it's not just the kings and the gods anymore now it's frodo you know now it's your your you know now it's now it's um you know the gray mouser. You know it's mm-hmm. now it's somebody who's human level. You know, and and you can relate to them. And um, so I think that's kind of where where Ken Saint Andre was going. And of course, Ken Saint Andre, the creator of Tunnels and Trolls, so he's a you know a great voice and uh, you know part of the history of the hobby as well. A lot of people seem to be getting into the Tunnels and Trolls like as of ju- I know it's been out for years and years and years, but it seems like it's just like really popped up and flourished in the last couple of years. So I'm happy about that. Well, you know, I mean, I think, I mean, Luke, I don't know if you know more than me on this or what, but I think Tunnels and Trolls was kind of the first competitor to Dungeons and Dragons, wasn't it? It it was. It was not well received in the Gygax household. (laughs) Yeah. So Tunnels and Trolls is a curse word. uh, So, yes, that that, uh, that was uh, a a copy or a, a knockoff of, of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, I've never played. I've never picked up the rule set, so uh, just, <laughs> just my understanding of the system. Uh, I've never, yeah, I've never played okay. it either, but reading John Peterson's book is as much as I actually know, but I mean, I've never played it, but I always kind of got the impression that it was one that was uh, simplified in some ways and, you know, just, uh, I, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of my understanding as well. I haven't picked it up, but... Uh, Hell, if somebody was running it and I had some time, I, I wouldn't play. Yeah. Oh, this next article is by some fool. Yeah. I yeah. Just, no, that, it, yeah. That, I just skipped past that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, 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 who does he think he is, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great article, actually. That, oh, thank you. Um, I'll introduce the next article. It's by uh, Vincent Florio. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell us about your article, man? Well, first of all, it cracked me up the picture at the top there, the uh, the ranger or the fighter, I should say, pulling the ladder out of that little tiny box because the rope <laughs> broke <laughs> and they have to climb up. And I was thinking, that, I remember an episode we did when we were, you were talking about that, actually. It's just like, you know, how do I get the 10-foot pole in the dungeon? You're like, just pull it out of that little magical box. And I was like, oh, Jason must have remembered that or someone heard it and drew that. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, Barry James is the artist on this. He's he's really great. I I forgot how exactly how this article came about, but it was James, uh, your editor, was talking to me, James Carpio, and he we, we was saying he needed a, like an old school Renaissance type article. And I was like, "Well, I have something written up about introduction to the OSR." And he's like, "Well, let me take a look at it." And he's like, "Okay, so this is pretty cool. Can you expand upon it?" So I, after a couple more writing phases, I gave it back to him, and he said, "This was great." 
talks about getting into the OSR, what products you should pick up off the web, such as uh, what the free products are, what the products you can buy, how to set up for the game, how to consider each possibility in the game, what different rolling methods in the game, and that's pretty much it. It's a very good read. It was a solid article. Well, thank you. And then we go to a really cool Cthulhu-type article called Weird Vibrations by Jeffrey Talon. Talanian. Talanian. Sorry about that. Yeah, and he's the creator of the Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. And he was the lead uh, designer, along with my dad, on uh, uh, his last works with uh, his uh, Castle Zagig stuff uh, before it was uh, uh, discontinued. But... uh, uh, so Jeff Jeff worked with my dad closely for a long time, and that's how I was introduced to him. And and uh, a really great guy, even though he is a Patriots fan. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can forgive for certain things, right? That's right. That's saying a lot, though. Yeah, true. Uh, very interesting article. I'm not going to really get into the details of it. And then we have a really cool article about the Incubus. Yes, for Savage Worlds. Savage Worlds are really cool. I don't know, Jason, have you ever played Savage Worlds? But it's a really cool I system. have. The only time I ever have played it is at um, Recess, you know, and Nerd NYC's Recess that they do three times a year. Yeah. Um, played it there and had a blast. It's a really cool game that's very customizable for anything that you can think of. Just about. Yeah, it's very, it's very story-based. It's, it's, it's very uh, narrative and very, very role-playing heavy. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Definitely, and this talks about this this creature for the Savage Worlds, and won't ruin that surprise. And then we get to this article from this Luke guy. I don't know who he is, who thinks he yeah. is. Anyway, talking about the Blighted Lands, the the feature campaign here in this magazine with the wonderful pullout. I don't, tell me, how did you get this pullout? I don't know, what made you decide to do it like that, Jason? Trying to throw back to the old magazines? or Well, I don't... Know if the dragon did this particular thing, but I mean, it really was just in order to make it fit right, you know. So, so uh, I'll let Luke talk about the the art and working with Stefan. But I'll just mention that Stefan Picorni, who's the owner of Dwarven Forge, if anybody plays with those amazing oh, uh, yeah. tile three D tile sets, which you can actually they just did this Kickstarter, so they now have a slightly less expensive version that's made with uh, he calls it indestructible Dwarvenite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It actually is. It's, it is really nice stuff. When I went over and saw the the Dwarven Forge that they, you know, because it was the first time I'd seen it in person, and um, I thought it was the original stuff. I was like, "Oh, didn't you bring the the new, you know, cheaper stuff?" And they're like, "No, this is it." Whoa! But uh, but yeah, we. The thing is that I I've known Stefan for a while, and I've been over to his place, and I've seen his artwork, and I've seen these maps that he does for himself, and they're just. Amazing! This beautiful, yeah. intricate map work, and I just thought we really need to, you know, bring him in on this. And so when uh, he did this with Luke, after I saw what he'd done, I said, "There's just no way that we can put this on a regular two-page with a staple in the middle. It's got to fold out so people can, you know, photocopy it and really see it and yeah, know, give it, give it a, uh, give it justice." He did both maps, front and back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Uh, so let's skip to. More about Okorum, as you phonetically spell it out for us. Am I saying that right, Luke? Okorum. Okorum? We call it Okorim, whatever, however you want to say it is, is fine. It, it, hopefully it'll be a, a world you use and tailor to making it easy for you to say. But uh, it, it came about uh, from uh, a desire for me to uh, 
do a little something at, at GaryCon uh, and do an original adventure. I figured, well, what the heck, you know, it's GaryCon 5, I should, I should probably uh, come up with an adventure. And uh, I, I sat down and started scratching my head over things to do. And uh, I, I decided, well, you know, if I'm, maybe it would help me if I had an idea of what, what kind of world this was that I was going to do this one-shot adventure for. So I sat down and started thinking up world ideas or setting ideas. Uh, and so I kind of started big and, and, and had narrowed it down a little bit for a tournament adventure. But um, I decided that uh, uh, something that folks maybe don't pay that much attention to these days but could be interesting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, especially in a tournament, would be uh, environmental challenges, uh, and obviously my experiences as a as a soldier in in, in operating in a ah. really hot, horrible environments wearing body armor and that sort of thing definitely influenced my decision to write about a miserable, hot, desolate place uh, called the the Blighted Lands. And uh, uh, so, so yeah, when you the idea is that you're going to take characters you know, from an established. Uh, campaign, maybe you you run uh, a few adventures with your guys, and you hit a level or whatever, and you want to throw a little curveball at, at, at your guys. You can have them adventure over to the continent of Oprim, uh arrive at the city of Shentuki, which is a huge ancient city with uh, architecture that's that's amazing that can't be duplicated in uh, with the current world's uh, you know technology or or level of magical understandings. Um, so it's truly a wonder. And then, of course, when they venture inland and hit the Blighted Lands, that's when they're going to get hit with some of those uh, uh, challenging surprises uh, from the environment that's going to make them have to think and adjust to adapt uh, and overcome the environment or, you know, possibly die, but more likely get, uh, you know, take some negative uh, modifiers that's going to that's hurt them later on in their adventures until they learn the lesson on how to cope. Obviously, at a certain level or with certain prep and certain items, you could could use magical ways of getting around that. But but that wasn't the goal, especially for this tournament, was to challenge players to use their mind and 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 uh, figure out a way to get around this non traditional uh, logistical challenge that I put out there. Uh, so that's that's kind of how I came up with the with the idea, and I enjoyed it so much. And I just started thinking about. Uh, well, why is this? And, and, and coming up with some uh, some races and, and uh, you know creature ideas and things like that, uh, I just really enjoyed the flavor. And I said, well, I've, I've done this much with it. Well, I, maybe maybe I should take a shot at, uh, at, at uh, doing a setting and introducing this to other folks and, and seeing if they like it. And uh, yeah. so uh, Jason uh, saw the uh, module that I did at, uh, for Gary Khan. I did a, just a, a short a short 100 copy release there that, that was only available at GaryCon. And uh, it was it was pretty well received. And uh, he enjoyed it. And he said, hey, let's go ahead and get this in article, uh, or excuse me, issue number two is, is the feature. Uh, so I uh, modified uh, some ideas that I had. And, and voila, here we are with Gygax Magazine number two, The uh, uh, the Blighted Lands, Adventuring in the Lands of Okram, uh, which will soon be followed by uh, actual module. Yes, I saw that. It said uh, BL1, The Blighted Lands, will come up right. A TSR Adventure module. Oh, okay. Yes. So uh, uh, we're, we're going to get our feet wet and uh, 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 get to publishing uh, some some game material um, uh, out there for, for everyone. And I know, uh, not, to, not to look forward too much, but, uh, I mean, issue number three mm-hmm. 
have uh, uh, my my brother Ernie's dungeon uh, that I adventured in extensively in the 70s, 80s, and even the 2000s. Uh, he's been uh, working on that and uh, modifying it and getting it ready for uh, publication. And there'll be a sneak peek of that, I believe, in issue number three. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jason. There sure will. Yep. And uh, uh, one would imagine that that would be a, a possible uh, publication as well down the, down the road. Exactly. That, that, that's what we're planning to do. So I think that people want to have a chance to, to, to buy these and put them into their worlds and, and be a part of it. So that's what we're going to get out there. Don't have a timeline on it yet, but that is coming down the pike. And the Blighted Lands are compatible with your favorite fantasy adventure game of your choosing, I, I would assume. You can play it with first edition AD and D. Oh, okay. That's, I wasn't absolutely. Sure. That that's that's how I envision playing it. That's how I okay. play it. Is first edition AD and D. But of course, I think with as with any AD and D type uh, uh, system, you could modify it to work with many others relatively easily. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing throughout Gygax Magazine. You know, there's a lot of different systems, and uh, Vince, I'm sure you know all of them, and you've <laughs> talked about enough of them on the show, but there's so many systems that are in that basic realm, um, and some of them start, you know, like I know Hackmaster is starting to kind of go off a little bit on its own path and things like that, um, but there's so many systems that are roughly compatible with that, Adventure Conqueror King, etc., that rather than trying to say, well, this one versus that one, if you if you're working within the general framework, anybody who's playing any of those types of systems knows enough to be able to adjust where it's necessary. Absolutely, yeah, I can adjust this for just about any game. And speaking about the uh, Blighted Lands, there's a little adventure in here which is really cool, and that's a nice little hook for the characters helping out. One of the NPCs have to go into the Blighted Lands to find the Fire Scorpion and bring back a piece of the Fire Scorpion for him to mix a potion. Uh, the Fire Scorpion, I went, oh my god, what a deadly creature that is. <laughs> Holy cow, that thing can jump so far and attack people without them even realizing they're being attacked. And I was thinking, this is going to be a great monster to bring in to kill my group. I mean, use for my group. <laughs> tell, us, yes. tell me a little about the Fire Scorpion, how you came up with that concept of him. And uh, Well, uh, I said, well, geez, you know, uh, I needed something for the outdoor portion of, uh, of the adventure for the attorney module. And I said, well, what, what would be fun? And, and I was like, okay, well, giant scorpions are, are always fun. And, and uh, <laughs> uh, no, everyone likes to save versus poison, right? Or yeah. die. So, uh, Definitely. Uh, so I said, okay, giant, giant scorpions. And, of course, you know, uh, there's kind of a, there was a, a fire theme uh, to the, uh, the tourney module. So I, I, I had a couple other ideas for names. Uh, through playtesting, people thought fire scorpion just worked the best. So I, I went with that as opposed to like an Arabic-style name that, that meant something similar to that. And uh, the idea is that the poison would feel like fire jetting through your bloodstream when, when you got hit with it. Um, it was so deadly when it was save versus poison or die that I had to modify it to uh, a damage accumulation and uh, put out some uh, antidote uh, in the scenario. Otherwise, it tended to kill off too many players. So... So I did actually want people to get through the tournament and not all just die uh, fighting the fire scorpions. Oh, that's not the point to kill everybody. I thought that was. No, I, I did like the uh, uh, I like the jumping portion just because uh, it, that always helps. It always you know you, you want to throw somebody uh, throw them for a loop. And, and what's more fun than than getting your creatures behind the ranks of the meat shields and into the spellcasters? So that's why they jump. 
<laughs> yeah, give the players a heart attack as this thing comes flying out of nowhere and crushes <laughs> your mage. <laughs> exactly. So uh, uh, that's why I always played a fighter magic user. But... Yeah, well, that, yeah, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> I did a lot of solo adventuring, so uh, that and potions of healing and just waiting long periods of time to heal. That was That's how I played Nelf most of the time. Now, for the, this full campaign, I, I assume you guys will put out eventually. Uh, what yeah. more can we see from this world? What what things would you like to introduce players to, or gamers, I should say, not the players? Sure. Uh, basically, uh, you know, the the backstory is generally it was a verdant, uh, you know, green land. Uh, you know, a millennia ago, there was powers released onto the lands. Uh, how that happened is the stuff of legends, whether it was an internal struggle, an experiment gone wrong, whatever the case may have been, which may be revealed later. Uh, powerful forces were unleashed that scarred and, 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 and destroyed the land, uh, turning what was once, you know, beautiful waterways and forests and stuff into this horrible blackened, you know, black glass cracked environment in the interior of uh, Okran. Um, and uh, the folks, the Idrissid Empire uh, is what that, that civilization was called. And they were powerful mages who had harnessed uh, elemental powers to their use and uh, regularly used elementals to build, build their you know, buildings, uh, power, uh, for lack of a better word, technologies, you know, items that would, would, would assist, you know, uh, were, were powered by elemental magics. Um, and of course, with the fall of the Idrissid Empire through the wrath, uh, this knowledge has been lost. Uh, most of the cities are buried deep in the blighted lands beneath the black sands, uh, uh, buried deep or so far in the interior, it's so dangerous that few, if any, have ever uh, uh, adventured to them. So what is in there is obviously lost artifacts, and all sorts of knowledge and treasures that people are going to want to get their hands on. Uh, the city of Shentufi, which is the largest city, hundreds of thousands of people, is a wonder in and of itself. As I said, it's got these uh, amazing uh, structures, these domes, uh, onion dome towers and skylines that are not replicated anywhere else in the world uh, because of the uh, the magics that were widely used by the Idrissid Empire. And this is the one surviving city that, that was on the coast. Um, of course, totally different peoples are there now and are occupying it, but the structures are the same. And they can't, if something breaks, they can't fix it. So it's kind of an interesting environment. There's lots of uh, various factions. So uh, I don't know, think of a large city like uh, like Monkmar uh -huh. or, or even Greyhawk right. or something of that nature. And that's what you have there. And you have... Uh, uh, some outdoor adventuring uh, going on. There's various uh, tribes and interesting stuff in the desert and flora and fauna. And of course, uh, buried deep in the blighted lands, there are all sorts of interesting creatures, magics, treasure, treasures, and uh, ways to interact with various elemental and demonic uh, powers that are uh, that are that are well established there. As the the veil between the worlds, between the planes, is much thinner in these areas. Cool. And we'll see the the uh, Blighted Lands and BL One uh, come out as a full adventure module. Well, can we see some like a box set coming out, or what would you envision this like? Is it a throwback to how we used to send out the old box sets from the eighties? Or Jason, are you, maybe you can further answer: Is this going to be one of those hardcover book with a map inside of it type thing? 
one of you guys want to field that one? Well, if I, if I have my druthers, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I would see this as a box set, especially, especially because Stefan is highly motivated and awesome. Uh, he, his mapping is, is, an, is on another level. I, I was blown away. Uh, when 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 he started sending me what what he was doing, uh, really great, and he does not think small. He wants <laughs> no, to map out the entire city, street by street, building by building. Wow! Uh, so I could he see he sent us it, this photo that yeah. w- that showed what you see in the this issue of the magazine is like a tenth of what he's got up on the wall right now. Yeah. Holy cow! Yeah, yeah he plans on. I mean, he he could see this in his mind. It's a you know an eight by eight map up on your wall, you know, <laughs> of, of city. So uh, I could definitely see this as uh, possibly being published in bite-sized, you know, chunks, just time and, and effort-wise and everything, uh, so that folks could could see the various, you know, city portions and adventures, and then, of course, uh, some modules that would be, that would deal with, uh, you know, outdoor or uh, other type scenarios as well. And then a box set for the city and perhaps, you know, uh, some hard bounds of, of related modules and that sort of thing. That would be really cool, actually, piece by piece map, so you can actually get a piece, and then next thing get another piece, put it next to the original piece, start building your own map. That'd be really cool, actually. I like that idea. Anything else you want to tell us about these lands? Uh, you know, not not right at the moment. Uh, I just, uh, well, I'm sure we'll we'll follow up with uh, some additional material in in other Gygax magazines with uh, some additional uh, monsters and, and vegetation and, and just additional uh, info to help flesh out for folks who are wanting to start running it right away um, until we get the first first module out. Right, right, yeah. I mean, because this is uh, this this is a whole campaign world, so it's going to have plenty of time to. To grow and flesh out and have other things happen within it. Absolutely. Okay. We move on a little bit ahead, and we got another. Uh, we have an article about the One Ring game, the the Hare and the Hill Giant. I've never played the One uh, One Ring game at all, but uh, well, as you might guess, it's a Tolkien-based world. Really? Is it? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know yeah, that. Sh- Shane Ivy. Uh, he's from, you know Shane Ivy from Arc Dream. Yes. And uh, really great guy. Amazing writer. It's a huge meaty piece. Um, the One Ring is a very story-based kind of um, yeah. uh, system, so it really focuses a lot on the stories around these um, trolls. I, I, I better not say too much about them because I would spoil the stuff that's in there. But there's Absolutely. also some some great um, uh, allies and adversaries at the back as well. So there's there's uh, some good meaty stuff in this for players of the One Ring. Uh, and then we get over to the Kobolds Cavern by Wolfgang Bauer, but actually edited by Wolfgang and written by uh, Eric Hindley. Well, a number of people. So, so I mean, just to oh. kind of repeat, because I don't know if everybody knows, but since uh, Wolfgang decided to focus entirely on Kobold Press and not publish Kobold Quarterly, the magazine anymore, mm-hmm. we really just felt that it was such a good magazine we wanted to see something of it keep on going so we worked with wolfgang to create the section that he edits right. and um so he has three three stories in or three articles in this section the first one is for um the first one super science and fantasy games is specifically for uh ah, i'm rushing quickly to see which system it was for <laughs> it was Pathfinder. The- it's the pathfinder game yeah I don't, yeah, I don't play Pathfinder, so I sometimes I don't recognize right away which it is. Uh, but it's really fun because it's got that sort of expedition to the Barrier Peaks kind of feel. 
of putting science tech in there. Um, and he has published that one article as a OGL so that other people can use that content um, in their own products. I really enjoyed this article. I, as soon as I read this article, I started translating everything to first edition. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the nice thing about it is that you can translate. Uh, and and vice versa, you know, people, yeah. people Pathfinder players can take the Blighted Lands and translate it into theirs as well. Oh yeah, very simple to do all that information. I know some people have some trouble doing that, and we had some shows on the past how to translate things back and forth. Just go listen to those episodes. Do you know? Do you know off the top of your head which ones they are? Ah, uh, no, <laughs> sorry. And I thought you knew your show. Jason, we have 120-something <laughs> issues, with, along with how many Gen Con specials we did and special inserts, so uh, sorry. <laughs> but those are, those are good ones to go back to, because I think that's a really important thing, is the skill of translating from system to system. Yeah, we've done it from 3rd edition to the back, 2nd edition, and as well as Pathfinder, so we've just tried to cover it all for everybody. And there's another article dealing through the ages. <laughs> I like how you Which is for the AGE system. Yeah, I like how you did that. That was cool. Well, he did that, I should say. Oh, he did that. Yes, yeah. this is Wolfgang's section. But it's yeah. it's a lot of fun, and I'm going to think about how I can use that in, in D&D games because dueling is such a great thing in-game. You know, it's a, it's a great way, when you, especially if you've only got two players maybe that are there for the day. You want to, well, let's just have a, have a duel. And he goes into all the different types of duels yeah. there have been, you know, historically and, and gives uh, rules for different types. It really does flush, uh, flush out things because I didn't think of half the ideas that he put in here, and I was like, oh, i got to start using those, like you said. Definitely yeah, does. this is the second article that um, Rodrigo has written. Uh, for for the uh, Kobold's Cavern, and I well, I just think he's awesome. I, I hope he continues in every issue. And then we have the Lost Wonders of is that Kelimarth? Kelimarath, I think Kelimarth, is how it's pronounced. Not, it's uh, a yeah. the so Midgard is a new setting um, from uh, Paizo, and this is uh, some uh, things from that setting. So it's some, some cool artifacts and, and stuff from uh, from Midgard. Excellent. And then we have Full Frontal Nerdity. Yes, I'm really excited <laughs> to have Aaron in this issue. And um, I'm actually just going back and double-checking here. I think with Midgard, I sorry, I just don't want to get it wrong. Okay. It might, Midgard might actually be by Kobold Press. I, I'm oh, looking okay. here, the Midgard campaign setting is copyrighted by Open Design LLC. So I think it's just that they had it at the Paizo booth this week, so I might be mixing things up. I apologize for that. Um, but anyways, yeah, the, so, so Full Frontal Nerdity, Aaron Williams is such an amazingly prolific uh, artist and writer. He, you know, is going to be known to some people for his uh, comic Nodwick yeah. in Dragon Magazine. Um, might also know him for, um, oh, heck, now I'm forgetting the name of the uh, PS120? Am I getting the number wrong? Uh, you know, which is sort of a school for mutants, you know, superpowers kind of thing. And, uh, you know, many others. And then Full Frontal Nerdity is normally his uh, three-panel daily webcomic. And I am such a fan of it. I, I read it every day. And I asked him, rather than necessarily bringing Nodwick back for this, which actually kind of requires a little bit more of a ongoing storyline and the kind of thing you'd want to see in a monthly anyways. Yeah. Uh, I was like, well, could you take Full Frontal Nerdity and kind of give it a little bit of a Nodwick approach? In other words, let's go into the game with the characters. And he just graciously obliged. He said, yeah, that's a great idea. I can go in with that. And um, off he goes. 
he's such i mean so I, I he was here at gen con so we got a chance to hang out and and uh you know go for drinks and he just he's a his brain goes a hundred miles an hour all the time he's got a new idea every other sentence and i can see why he's so prolific and he was telling me about his stacks of ideas that you know he's just gonna have to find some other artist to do because he can only draw so fast yeah this absolutely cracked me up because it reminded me of one of the groups I've played with in the past, and I'm not going to ruin it for anyone because it's really funny. Yeah, so, but I just like I did. We slay it, you nosh it. That cracked me up. <laughs> <laughs> and then we do our wonderful, awesome order of the stick and how random NPC monsters are formed. We, we're, I gotta say, we're really blessed to have uh, Rich Burlew. You know, you know, signed up for for a nice haul on our back pages. We've got exclusive order of the sticks that you can only get in Gygax magazine. Um, although I'd be happy if he decided to put them in one of his book compilations in the future, because I think they're well. I mean, everything he does is top quality. You know, so absolutely. And that's it. And that's the front to start. Issue two is is complete, Jason. It'll be in people's hands in a matter of a couple of days, depending on when they listen to this. Oh, uh, it depends. You know, the yeah. magazines are all actually shipping from Florida on Tuesday, so depending on the type of shipping people have chosen, if people who have free shipping, it can take five to ten days because subscribers we give free shipping for as an option. Uh, people who bought the priority shipping, it might be there quicker. Mm. We're doing our best, and we want to make everybody... I'm very happy that people are always in our, eager to get it. So, I, I guess so, some people are asking, is there any uh, chance of getting some cheaper overseas rates in the future? Because I know it's often asked to us about it. So, You know, that's a weird one. I, I, I've been <laughs> trying to think about this because, you know, I, I, if you try to buy a, a magazine from Italy and, you know, get it in America, you're not going to – they're not going to send it for $2. You know, it's an it's, it's unfortunate fact of the Postal Service that they charge quite a lot for reliable – uh, delivery. We kind of had a choice here that we could either go with, um, we could go with very not very cheap. We could go with l- slightly less expensive rates that would. Apparently, we had a lot of people th- whose stuff got lost last time when we oh. went with the less expensive shipping, because you they just they don't give it the priority. And I don't want people's mag. These are magazines that people are really wanting, so I don't want them to get mangled in the mail or worse, not show up. So. Rather than complicate issues, we've just made it simple and said we're going to offer the priority shipping. Mm-hmm. At some point in the future, if we can find a way to have a distributor who's based in Europe that can we can drop ship to or something like that, we'd love to do it. But I don't really want to make promises because mm-hmm. it is a physical object that has to travel across the Atlantic Ocean, you know, yeah. a third of the way across the entire globe where all humans live. So it's it's a difficult thing. You know, if we could get our subscribership up to uh, a few hundred thousand, though, I think we could probably come up with some cheaper shipping options. So, listeners, can you please get a hundred thousand of your friends? Yes, just tell, just each one of you, just go out and tell a hundred of your friends, and we'll be good. And yeah. they tell a hundred of their friends, and oh, <laughs> and they'll tell a hundred of their friends. Yeah, exactly. Remember, buy Amway. Uh, <laughs> yikes. All right, anyway, so there, that's that question because a lot of people were asking that, and unfortunately that's the answer for now. Uh, I, I do want to say that it is available as a PDF on DriveThruRPG. So, go. you know, I, I, I really prefer a physical magazine, and I know our readers do too, and I understand that, but at least, the, at least you can get the content through DriveThruRPG. Excellent. So now, uh, uh, Luke, as we're moving over to you back again here, I have a lot of, well, not a lot of, but... Ten best questions uh, 
by our fans that want to hear from you directly about some things in the past, whatever's going on in your life. Are you ready for some good questions here? Sure, fire away. Absolutely. Okay, first question from DM Dwayne in the OSR Gaming Forums. He wants to know, what is your favorite class to play and why? Uh, all right, DM Dwayne, thanks for uh, asking the question. And I would have to say that uh, a fighter magic user is uh, is my favorite to play. Uh, obviously, Melf, uh, the character I played the most uh, with my dad, was, uh, was a fighter magic user. And that... That combination is probably the best one to solo adventure with, and uh, you have to remember, I'm, I was, my brother Ernie's 11 years older than me, so he was pretty much grown and gone uh, by the time I was doing uh, a lot of adventuring. Uh, you know, from eight, you know seven, eight years old on, uh, so I would end up soloing uh, a fair amount with my dad uh, during the week because I would I would sit in his office and pester him until he would take me on adventures. And I would play Melf. Uh, and with the fight, fighting and magic using, uh, you know, you got enough hit points, you got a little bit of the artillery. Uh, it, you know, you can only take one action at a time, of course, but uh, that gave me the best options and most adaptability. Um, but I did have to sit around and, and, and spend a long time healing up, um, uh, especially going through Saj Camp, which is one of my favorite modules, as uh, a little aside. Uh, but I went through pretty much solo through most of Saj Camp with Melf, uh, and it took quite some time, a uh, long period, probably a year or more of game time for me to do that uh, with all the healing that I had to sit around and do. But that's my favorite character, Fighter Magic User. Cool. DM Kojo would love to hear your experiences about working with the Gamma World Module GW1 Legion of Gold, and which you wrote with Gary. Tell us a little bit about that. I did. Uh, I, I think it's a little bit generous to say that I wrote it with them. I believe this was in 1980, so I was probably nine years old, uh, and I got the motivation, uh, or the, excuse me, the inspiration for the idea uh, for the main villains um, by watching a Super Friends cartoon. There was some guys in glowing armor, and uh, or glow, they were glowing anyway. And so I was talking to my dad. I said, well, we should have some guys with glowing powered armor and this sort of stuff. And so he said, okay. And he started writing down a few things and uh, bouncing them off me back and forth a little bit. And uh, it ended up being GW1. Uh, obviously, the, you know, the lands and all that sort of stuff are just named, uh, you know, named for where we lived. Uh, the Barony of Horn is, is Elkhorn. And I think there's some other, uh, other names there that are basically Wisconsin, southeastern Wisconsin-based uh, uh, names. Um, but that, that's how that, that came about. So I was very young and, uh, I gave him some of the ideas and then he talked to me about them and fleshed them out. But he did the writing on that sort of thing at, at nine years old. I was, I was not behind, behind the typewriter, uh, knocking that out. <laughs> cool. Angelic doctor wants to know, can you tell us about, about Bugham and who came up with that name? Uh, Bugham, I don't recall a specific story that came up uh, that, that revolves around you know, developing uh, uh, the name Bugham. Uh, however, it kind of fits with, uh, I think, the vision uh, that uh, my dad had at that time with uh, uh, Gamma World or, or uh, you know, uh, uh, future, you know, uh, post, post-apocalyptic future stuff. Uh, with Gamma World, there's, you know, wolfoids and, and this sort of thing. So it's kind of taking a, a normal name and twisting it a little bit. Uh, this was also the case in one of his favorite sci-fi stories. I don't know if it was favorite, but certainly one that impacted Gamma World a bit. 
uh, Sterling Lanyard's uh, Hiero's Journey. Uh, there's like a a horse moose cross. It's called a Morse and, and things of that nature. So I think it's just taking a, 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 a common term, adjusting it a little bit and making it into a mutated creature. Um, so sorry, I don't have a more colorful story for you, but I think it's just fit. It just fit with how he saw naming things and, and bug them is fun to say. <laughs> okay. And, uh, Boove wants to know, what are your feelings about the OSR movement? Obviously, I'm a big proponent of uh, old school gaming. Uh, I have nothing against new school gaming and, and that sort of stuff. I'm 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 for gaming in general. Uh, but I know that I certainly play first edition still is my is my choice. It's uh, what I cut my teeth on, uh, and it's where I'm really I have the most enjoyment. I'm most comfortable with. Um, I, I've cert- I've played uh, third edition, a little bit of Pathfinder. I tried fourth edition one time. Uh, I've certainly uh, played, you know, various other systems as well throughout the years. Uh, but I just am most comfortable with one E uh, because you can tailor it, and it's it's mm-hmm. it's 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 light, uh, it's flexible. Um, I know the rules. I don't, you know, so there's certain certain level of comfort, and then a certain level of really you are. As a DM, it's 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 your tale, and you're forming it with the characters and keeping it. Moving, whereas I think in some other systems there's, uh, or, or other, other more complex systems, you can get caught in game mechanics a little bit more so. So, um, but yeah, as far as keeping old older systems alive, that's great. And and folks uh, take you know uh, fans doing uh, uh, you know contributing and making their own settings and publishings and stuff like that. I think there's been some really great stuff that's come out of it and some great talent. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. Thumbs up. And have you taken a look? I've uh, taken a look at uh, Osric, and and what are your thoughts about that? Uh, I don't. I have not really in depth done any in depth analysis of Osric, so I, I don't want to. I don't okay. want to go afield here and and give an opinion. Not a problem. And uh, Doc Monwhite comes up with another question. What is your f- favorite official D and D setting? Uh, I think this is going to be an easy one. Uh, it would be Greyhawk. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is where I spent the preponderance of my time adventuring, uh, again, playing with my dad, uh, was in Greyhawk. So uh, I did play in Forgotten Realms a little bit when I was uh, 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 early years in the, in the Army in Germany. I played a little bit of Forgotten Realms. Uh, you know, good good, good uh, setting, but uh, again, just most comfortable, prefer my old Greyhawk setting. Next question uh, from comes from Dave the Moderate. He wants to know: Was there ever a point in your life while you were growing up and looked at gaming, how and how closely your family was involved, and just wanted to rebel and just give up on gaming? Well, I don't know about give up on gaming, but but I would say that uh, certainly I have come to doing anything in the gaming business, quote unquote, uh, pretty pretty late in life, and and I think that some of that, uh, yeah, you know, uh, sure. Uh, my dad, uh, you know, it was it was my dad's life working as a, as a young guy growing up. Yeah, of course, I wanted to follow my dad's footsteps. I think a lot of folks uh, want to follow in their parents' footsteps when they're growing up. Uh, but yeah, as I as I grew into adulthood, I decided to take my own career path and I uh, joined the military, and that uh, has been something I've done for the last twenty three years, either in a full or part time status, and that's pretty much where my career path is. Um, However, when my uh, you know I did I did uh, 
take a foray into into writing uh, with uh, the city of lost city of Gaxmore, uh, gosh, a decade ago with my brother Ernie, uh, just uh, just for fun, really. We, we were doing a a campaign uh, at the dungeon. The Dungeon Hobby Shop or just the Lake Geneva? Oh, sorry, it was the Game Guild, not the Dungeon Hobby Shop. At that time, the, the game shop was called the Game Guild in Lake Geneva where my brother was working. And uh, we collaborated on this uh, scenario. And we figured, well, we'll put this much work into it. Let's publish it. And we did. But uh, I didn't have a burning desire to uh, uh, to continue publishing uh, work, even though it was, uh, you know, there was opportunity out there. Uh, however, after my father uh, passed away, you know, after his death, it certainly uh, it struck me. Um, you know how important uh, how important it was to me to uh, 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 try my hand at it and 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 and, and keep the guy Gax name out there uh, as a creative in a creative way, uh, and I thought that that I had something that I could uh, I had something that was that was worthwhile and, and, and worth putting out there. So uh, I am more interested, in, and certainly my my brother Ernie has uh, expressed that those same things, and we're really happy to uh, uh, be able to uh, at this point in time. Uh, bring some creative work from uh, uh, from from both of us uh, to the gaming community at large. So maybe that's a longer answer than you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. All right, next one comes from Graham Mills and many many others. They want you to explain a little bit about Melf. Okay. All right. So Melf was uh, was my second character that that, that I played. The first character was uh, Otis the Ranger. Uh, I first played him. Uh, he was it was in the village of Hamlet. I certainly it wasn't published yet. I think we were play testing it, uh, and I was probably four years old uh, during that play test. Maybe I was five, um, and uh, that was my first character. And I played him to tenth level as a ranger lord. That 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 was pretty high level. Uh, and then we transitioned out, and uh, I started playing Melf. Actually. Um, uh, Otis had an ignoble end. He, I was bugging my dad to go on an adventure, and he pulled out the Tomb of Horrors, which is a cool oh. thing to do. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I maybe he had a bad day at the office. I don't know. Uh, so I take poor, poor Luke takes uh, his uh, ranger through the, uh, temp, uh, through the um, Tomb of Horrors, and I end up going down uh, the hallway that transports all of your physical goods in one place and sends you to another and then I found my way to the room wall with uh, levers, mm-hmm. you know, three levers, and I pushed those the wrong way, and I ended up at the, naked at the bottom of a pit, so uh, with no hope of escaping. Uh, so that was the end of poor Otis, and so I needed another character to play uh, some some couple weeks later, and uh, I, I my dad broke up the uh, expedition to the Barrier Peaks, and so I was playing that, and I. Was a, I'd rolled up a magic user and, and just start him off at a higher level, and I needed an assistant, you know, or my dad said, well, you need a sidekick, you should have a, a henchman. So I had, he's just, you know, make up a character, and blah, and I whipped up this uh, fighter magic user, Elf, and I just called him Melf, which I will, I, I need to say this because poor Jeff Leeson for years has, 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 has said this, and it's fallen on deaf ears. I heard the name Melf, because Jeff Leeson, a good family friend and, and, and game designer, had a character named Melf the Elf. So I thought this was just a henchman. So I said, Melf, that's a great name. This is just a throwaway character. Bam. So I threw Melf on the page and, and moved, moved out. Uh, 
unfortunately, the poor wizard that I was playing that, that was the main the main adventure in the uh, Barrier Peaks ended up getting caught by security robots and imprisoned. And Melf uh, fled, I returned back to the city of Greyhawk, and uh, I wasn't done adventuring because <laughs> my, my character had gotten snatched up by security robots pretty pretty quickly. So my dad uh, pulled out uh, his uh, you know castle uh, castle Zagig, uh, his Greyhawk castle. Uh, a book, and I went down and started venturing in, in Greyhawk Castle, and uh, worked my way up uh, uh, by by venturing uh, uh, through the dungeons there. And Melf became my my main character. I took him through, gosh, uh, well, what adventures did I go through besides uh, Greyhawk, Sajkamp, uh, Lost Temple of Thrizden. Uh, through the Looking Glass or the Magic Mirror or something like that? Was it the, the dungeon, land, dungeon Land and through the Magic Mirror? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the UK. I think they're tournament modules. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I play-tested a, a bunch of those, a bunch of those uh, uh, kind of that era of, of modules. So went through all those. A great time. So that's kind of the backstory, uh, backstory of Milf. Um, he then, of course, went on to, uh, as he gained levels, uh, and completed the Sajkamp uh, uh, scenario. He uh, became part of the Red Rampart Guard uh, of Morden Canaan and, and uh, the, Cit- the Citadel of Eight, uh, uh, and, and kind of got tied in with those folks as well. So it's kind of interesting. But that's that's uh, in a nutshell. That's a quick synopsis for Mel. <laughs> okay, and then DM Angelo follows up. What can you tell us the story behind Melf's Acid Arrow? Sure, as uh, as my brother. Ernie's article in uh, Gygax Magazine number two talks about uh, you, if you had an idea for a spell, okay, great, no, no problem. You had to go ahead and sit down and write out what what the spell effects you were looking for and, and kind of flesh that out. And then you would have to spend a certain amount of time researching. And, of course, there was a cost in, in gold and items to conduct that research in order for you to, to, to get this spell. So uh, Melf's Acid Arrow, as a, uh, well, I was a, I was probably casting a spell, if memory serves me correctly, and somebody shot me with an arrow, and it broke my spell. Uh, and that really irritated me as a player. So I said, well, geez, you know what? I think I need to, uh, might have even been a magic missile at somebody, and it was, a, it was fast. So I said, you know what I need to do? I need to have a spell that I can basically shoot someone, and then... Not only will it affect them for the one round, I want a way to affect them for multiple rounds so that they can't cast spells at me. So I came up with an acid arrow that will do uh, continuing damage. So therefore, if you, you obviously that's good, you know, the idea is that you're going to be targeting the spellcasters and hindering their ability to throw spells for several melee rounds, thereby giving you an advantage to close a distance and, and kill them. Uh, so that was Melf's magic. Uh, excuse me, Melf's uh, acid arrow. Uh, Melf's uh, my new yours is another one that I think uh, uh, mm-hmm. kind of has an interesting background. Uh, while adventuring through Castle Greyhawk, um, mapping was very important, and of course, area of effects for your spells is also very important. So, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times I would throw a upon reaching fifth level, I would throw fireball into rooms. Well. Uh, my dad was pretty tricky, and even though a room might be 30 by 30, mm-hmm. the ceiling sometimes would be 10 feet or 15 feet or whatever. So here I am, 
like, ha, 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 I'm 10 feet down the quarter, no chance of me getting hit with this fireball, and I launch it into the room, bam, I get, uh, you know, uh, fire damage and have to save for all of my items if I fail my, my magic saving throw, right? Um, I don't know if you guys do that, but yes, we really had to roll for every single item on our character sheet if we failed a saving throw. That's how it was supposed to be done, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a bummer. I mean, it was, yeah, very sad. Uh, I still remember losing my displacer cloak to the uh, Gorgamira, I think it was, in Sajkanth. That was that was very sad. It made me. I did fight down to. I had six hit points left, but I wouldn't retreat because uh, I said this thing's going to die or I'm going to die because it got my displacer cloak. I was very irritated. But anyway, uh, so I was tired of, of hitting myself with area of effect damage, particularly from fireball. So I was like, well, isn't there a way to make this into a smaller fireball? He's like, well, you could research it and do that. So once again, go through the whole process, you flesh out what you want, and basically I took that spell and was able to break it into three, you know, into a subset of smaller meteors so that you wouldn't be, uh, you could use them in a, in a smaller uh, confined area without blasting yourself. Hmm. So that's how those came about. Just, just from gameplay, dungeoneering, and then you just sit down, write out the spell, do your research, and roll some dice. And you come up with, uh, you know, he'd obviously write out the spell, type it up, and give it to you, and you could put it in your spell book. Interesting. Didn't never would have thought about how you did. Hmm. Okay. Now, our next question comes from Timothy Conley. What is your favorite thing about Branamore's Bog? (laughs) Uh, Well, thanks. Thank you, Timothy, for that for that question. I would say that Branamore's Bog. uh, uh, Tim and I have been uh, Timothy and I have been uh, corresponding back and forth uh, primarily on Facebook. And uh, he'll just uh, zing some ideas past me for his uh, for his world, for his adventure that he's doing with his folks, I believe, in uh, New York City. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll reply back, uh, and we'll we'll figure out a few things. And one of those areas was Branamir's Bog. We figured out uh, how that came about. Um, and uh, that was, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, that was uh, from a a lost artifact that generated water and uh, uh, was, was, you know, like an Everfold flask or something like that was opened and, and tipped over in some evil crypt and uh, to, to flood it out or whatever. And so now it's Branamir's bog, but there's, uh, you know, some evil lich or, or, or something like that in the middle of it that does, uh, you know, infests the bog and makes it all, you know, dark and evil place. So that's, that's, that's where that question came from. <laughs> Excellent. All right, and finally, uh, last question. As uh, Jason knows, I like to ask my little last goofy question to all our guests. And that question is, if you could be a household appliance, which one would you be and why? It's an excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would probably be uh, a TV okay. in the house because I would be able to provide uh, entertainment Mm-hmm. And knowledge to folks, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I would have, I'd be the focal point of the room. I like to be the center of attention anyway. I'm an extrovert. Uh, uh, and, and so people pay a lot of attention to me to get a lot of use and I'd import, impart a lot of, uh, uh, happiness and enjoyment to folks. Cool. Would you be like a plasma or an LED? No, I'm just kidding. I was going to worry about that. <laughs> Definitely be a high definition edge lit, uh, uh <laughs> LED TV. At least 50 inches, if not larger. So is there anything else you guys want to uh, tell the audience? What could be, you know, possible things in the future? Or anything else you want to just blurt out? I I just want to say thank you for picking up Gygax Magazine and reading it. I think uh, issue number one was a lot of fun. I'm really proud of issue number two. 
and uh, I just think they're getting better and better. Issue number three is going to be very strong as well. So if you haven't picked up an issue, go out, uh, order it, go to your local hobby store, ask them to carry it if they don't have it, or even get the PDF and just uh, review it. I think you will enjoy it. If you're listening to this podcast, it's, I think it's definitely going to be up your alley. And uh, Jason, any closing I words? I couldn't say it any better. All right. Well, Luke, uh, thank you for coming on the show and telling us about your campaign world and, and, and history, pretty much. It was my pleasure, Vince. I really appreciate it, and uh, uh, thanks for having me on. Is there a way someone, if they want to contact you other than through Gygax Magazine, they can look you up on Facebook, obviously. Do you have a website that someone can go to to look you up? Or I, I don't have a website, but uh, you're more than welcome to hit me up on Facebook and, and shoot me a message. Uh, many people have done that, and uh, I, I respond to them. I think I helped a, a, a gentleman name his drow character the other day when I was at work. I was walking around and I myself, I'm like, oh, okay, let me think of a quick drow name. And <laughs> so... Hey, no request is too too unusual, uh, uh, and it's nice. So, yeah, please, if you have something, feel free to, to write me uh, on Facebook. It's a good way, uh, and uh, I'll be in touch. Cool. Jason, I thank you for taking the time to come on here as well to talk about Gygax Magazine, too. Hey, thanks a lot, Vince. Thanks for having us on. It's, it's always fun to be back. Absolutely. The fans always say, where's Jason? We want more Jason. So there. You know, your- it was funny. <laughs> I, I, one of the guys I was playing Nuclear War with, we sat down just as we were about to play. We were talking a little bit, and he turns to me. He's like, "You sound familiar. Were you on the podcast?" <laughs> so there's there's fans of the podcast all over. Yeah, I remember we we had that when we first. What well, was Gen Con 2010 when we first went on our show? Was just kind of reaching everybody at that point, and we were handing out those little. Uh, well, we weren't handing out. Sorry, we were. Uh, accidentally leaving them on tables, <laughs> <laughs> dropping them strategically in good places. Yeah, <laughs> because we were not handing out flyers. That would be wrong. That would be absolutely wrong at Gen Con. That's right. Uh, they were. I was talking to one of the directors. Of, I think it was a horror game. The guy's like, "Hey, aren't you on the podcast about D and D?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Yeah, I just recognize your voice. Where's your? Is there a guy Jason that goes along with you?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's pointing to you. You're kind of walking over. So it was kind of cool that someone recognizes your voice from a show. Yep, they always look at me and go, I thought you were better looking. Oh. <laughs> Ouch. Anyway. All right, thanks, Ben. Right. Keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. The Roll for Initiative podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. You can visit us at rfipodcast.com or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even by calling us at 570-865-4210. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. And remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Roll for Initiative. Roll for Initiative.